0: Um, today's 29th, here's a quick proverb for you before we get into the text. I, I chose verse 13. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. That, that requires some mulling, and so I'll just, we'll leave you with that one. And I encourage you to um, not let church just be a place that you attend um, I encourage you to to consider the fact that you know it's kind of a community where we do life together, and and, and I encourage you to get involved, and to uh, you know you'll get blessed when you'll make friendships if you jump in, and and not just be isolated. So you know I, th- I really believe that the people here are in love with life, they're in love with God, and um, they're they're great people, and so. Um, God's love is here, and just just jump in, get involved, and get invested. And I'm going to say to you today, and this this is now kind of moving into what motivated me and and where we are in the Word today, is is if you feel discouraged, if you feel down, you've got, you know, you're worried, you're anxious about things, you're stressed, I really believe that today the, the Holy Spirit is going to encourage you. I really believe that that when you leave today, you're going to have a sense of God's love for you and know that He's faithful. Maybe you came in today weighted down by some sort of difficult situation in your life. Maybe there's a sickness involved or um, some sort of financial crisis involved. And uh, I believe in a God who can save. I believe in a God who can deliver. I believe in a God who who can provide. I, I, I believe that our God is here and He can help you here and now today. And um, does anybody else believe that? You know, I hope a few of you do. Anyway, so uh, we're going to be start today in Matthew chapter four. I believe, by the way, that this is the word of God. This is inspired. It's holy. It's true. It can be believed, and it's his 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 narrative to us. and And it's really about his love for us, his love for humanity. And um, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse twenty three. And this is talking about Jesus, okay? So the, the story here is referencing Jesus, and it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And that's a pretty amazing sentence, and we're going to try and unpack that today. Um, But I think we want something of the Holy Spirit, so I want to invite him. Would you agree with me in prayer? Lord, um, as we take time now to mull what it is that you have said through your word, we pray, Lord, for the release of understanding. We pray, Lord, for the release of God the miraculous. I pray that, Lord, not because of anything that I say, but because your Holy Spirit is at work, that people will come to know you, that people will be healed, that people will be encouraged, that they will, they will have... I, I pray, Lord, for sicknesses to be made whole during this moment, during this time. I pray, Lord, for, for, for hearts to be, become open to reconciliation during this message. I pray, Lord, for the miraculous and nothing less. We invite your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember from um, premarital classes that Lisa and I took, which was four decades ago. And and we were taught, part of this deal was to never use the word never and never use the word always. Anybody ever have a class where they told you, don't ever use those things, like, you know... I mean, they, when you use those words, they're usually used in more of the heated moments, you know, and, and they move the conversation into a category of not credible anymore, of not, you know, inaccurate. I mean, you always make fun of me in front of your friends, and that's just not true. Sometimes I'm asleep, and I'm not making fun of you then. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it, 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 uh, it just not always true. Or, you know, you, 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 you never tell me you love me. We had a date once and I told you remember I mean it's like I mean I make fun of those things but but it puts the discussion into the category of of losing its credibility and success won't come into any marriage without grace and forgiveness. Although today's message isn't so much about marriage, I guess I'll mention to you. <laughs> I'm planning to um, start a series right after Easter, and I'm going to do it from the book The Song of Solomon. And I'm telling you now, just to keep me on it, because you know it's, I'm nervous to teach from the book The Song of Solomon. So um, there, there will be plenty of references there to the marriages, but there, it's about relationship. It's a really a, a grand book. So we're going to be in that right after Easter. But um, I, I don't think that, that that any marriage can survive without a lot of grace and a, certainly a lot of forgiveness. And the words never and always provide no hope. When they're inserted into an argument, they just, they just cancel any possibility of reconciliation or hope in the future. It's just, so if you, if you use those words, I encourage you to stop it. Okay, just, just stop it. Um, and, and, and the thing about grace and forgiveness is they help us to appreciate this moment. They they help us to, to get to this place where whatever it is that we've come into this with, we can all of a sudden slow down and okay, okay, take a breath. Grace and forgiveness are here. The lay of the land is changing. There's some there's a pathway out of this, and um and, and it, it it helps us, especially in a marriage, to stop inflicting the past upon our spouse. But it's really common. Things get heated. We say stuff like "you always" and "you never," and um, and it's unwise in 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 any relationship, not just marriage. But it's and when we start doing it it's because we're taking the past and we inflict it upon the present, and that makes for a bad relationship because the whole idea requires forgiveness. Now, on a side note, um, I don't want to just just say forgive, forgive, forgive. I mean, although that's true, I know that forgiving and trusting are two different functions, and trust requires building. And, and, but but the words never and always just don't help there. So, so this whole topic points to this extraordinary uh, quality of our good God. And not only does he not inflict our past on us. I mean, keep in mind that God has foreknowledge. He knows our tomorrows. He knows what we're going to be, where we're going to be, what's going to be going on. Not only does he not inflict our past um, upon our present, but God will not inflict your future on your present. Now that's extraordinary to me. I mean I mean I mean okay so when you're when you're in a relationship with someone and you get a sense that There's something going on and they're going to do something and it's going to be at your expense and it's going to hurt you. It affects us, right? We start thinking about, okay, and so maybe we slow down a little bit. Maybe we take a step back. The trust factor starts to kind of wind down. And um, you get me. We we do that, right? If if we start to think about something that that someone's going to do in the future that's not right, we kind of maybe change our course. But God's love for you is so extensive and extraordinary that um, his love is, is so present. And I, I've said that a couple times. I probably need to explain that. But um, his, his love is so present. So I want to look at that scripture again and see what's going on there because it's pretty amazing. May, uh, verse, four, verse 23 um, about Jesus and the healing that he does. It says, and he went throughout all Galilee, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Every Every? Yeah. Yeah, every. It says every single sick person. It didn't say every single deserving sick person. It doesn't say all the good sick people. it do- I'm so thankful it doesn't say all of the righteous sick people. It says every sick person, every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, this sounds so noble. <laughs> but hang on a minute. I mean... It's a little bit unexpected when I start thinking. It's it's a little bit staggering for me. I mean, so every. That means he healed hands that were going to hit. Every. That means he healed eyes that were going to lust. Every. Every. He healed feet that were going to run away. Our human approach says, hey, 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 God, you know, you got some foreknowledge capability here. You could put that to a little bit better use. I mean, honestly, if we were God, you know, if I was God, I mean, we'd say, okay, you want healings? Line up for the healings. You know, you want those legs healed? Um, Okay, but I see you have the need, but I know what you're going to do with those legs. So, excuse me, but no, or... You know, you want those eyes healed? Nah, we're not going to do that. I mean, how many of you are grateful that I'm not God, okay? I mean, mean, well, I'm grateful you're not God too, okay? (laughs) So, you know, this has to be chewed on. Jesus heals bad people. Jesus heals people that will use the miracle to do bad things. I mean okay Luke 17 there's a story Jesus heals these 10 guys who have leprosy 10 guys and if you know the story you know the story 10 guys and one of them the Samaritan the foreigner says hey wow you know he heals them tells them what to do they they get healed it's listen being healed from leprosy especially in this culture was a big major deal it's like taking your life out of complete total forever ruin and giving you a new life. And nine of them kept on going, and one comes back and says, Lord, thank you. Now, I'm okay with math, and my math says that's only 10%. One out of 10. And um, I'm thinking, you know, that's not so cool. So, Lord, you know, Okay, here we are walking around, and we had ten people who ask us for something, and we know one out of those ten will do the right thing, and nine will not. Are you going to heal all ten? I mean, well, you probably would. We've already established that you would, but I mean, I think the typical person would go, "I, you know, I'd had struggle with that." Now, I'd I'd say you all want to be healed. Sorry, I don't think so because most of you, nine out of ten of you, are ungrateful. You're self-serving. But God didn't do that. Instead, he says, you're healed. You're healed. You're healed too. He looks him in the eye. I'm certain of it. You're healed. All of them, including the nine. God heals bad people. He does. We learned last week that God loves bad people. (laughs) This week, now he's taking it seemingly to another level. He heals bad people. I mean, he heals bad people that are going to take that miracle and use it for things that aren't good. And God, what is motivating this? I mean, what kind of love is this? Now, last week we we had we went to the story about uh, Lazarus and uh, we had some fun with it, but. Um, you know, there's more in there that we didn't mine out. And I want to go back to that story and remind you about this note that he gets from Mary and Martha. This is about Lazarus who's sick and he's going to die. And and, uh, they send Jesus a note and the the note says, the one you love is ill, John chapter 11. And he's several miles away and he says, okay, he's going to go there. But the thing is, he goes, but he gets there late. He's late. In fact, Along the way, he decides not to hurry up and he hangs out for two extra days. So by the time he gets there, it's the fourth day and Lazarus is now dead and he goes in and heals Lazarus. He raises him from the dead. You know the story. And I'm thinking, and they gotta be thinking, hey, Jesus, you know, you could have been here before he died. You, you could have you been here. And... A lot of people have thought that, well, why did he wait? What was the deal? I mean, um, you know, why do he wait? And there's a reason. I, I, a lot of people believe, and I tend to agree with this particular reason, is that, that in those days, most Jews believed that after, or by the fourth day, there was no hope for resurrection. I don't know how. I, I, I probably should study out why it was. But, but they believed that on, by fourth days, go ahead and bury the body. Hope's gone here. So bury the body. So apparently they believed in resurrection. Actually, there were two major religious sects of Jewish life in the day, the, 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 the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the smaller of the two groups. They, um, they were the aristoc- aristocratic people. They were usually the more wealthy. They um, many times had positions of power, the chief priests, the high priests. Most of the seats on the Sanhedrin were held by the Sadducees. They did not believe in resurrection. And the way you remember the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is they don't believe in resurrection. They are very sad, you see, right? Okay, okay. Silly pun, but that's how you remember. That's how I remember. Okay, and then there's the Pharisees who were the majority. And part of their belief was that by the fourth day there was no hope of resurrection. And uh, so they'd go ahead and bury the body. And I believe that Jesus waited for the fourth day to prove to them that he had power over life and resurrection, that it wasn't limited by three days. But something amazing happens in this whole story. Scripture says Jesus get there, and before he heals Lazarus, he cries. He cries. (laughs) Now, you and I have the advantage of having heard the story, or we can read in advance and see that he's going to raise him from the dead well, Jesus already knows that. He already knows that Laz is going to be back, that things are going to be okay. But for some reason, he's crying. Why? Why are you, like, wasting this emotion? It's a mystery. Jesus wept. Why? And, and do we know for sure? No. There's, there's no clarity. Scripture doesn't say, here's why he cried. Uh, but we can take some educated um, ideas and say this is likely, and there are several. Um, why did he weep why did he waste his tears did Did Jesus waste his healing power on bad people who would use those miracles for bad reasons did Did Jesus waste his power on nine lepers? Now it might seem reasonable to conclude that yeah, those were wasted but but, but, but that's not consistent with God's character. He doesn't waste anything. There, there is no acting by God that's inconsistent with his character, so there's nothing about him that's wasteful. Uh, he's purposeful at all times. He's, everything he does is completely intentional, and there are no oops with God, no uh-oh or mistakes. That doesn't happen in heaven. You don't hear that coming from the throne. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. You don't, you don't hear that. So Jesus Christ, Why? I believe the reason is because God's love is always now. Right now. And what does that mean? I mean, from Lazarus' perspective, in the now, ask yourself the question in this whole story, who's the loser in this deal? Lazarus dies. Where's Lazarus now? He's not in that body. I, mean, okay, here's, when, when, I talk about this at memorial services. If you go back through the Old Testament and you read references and where there are references there to our physical body, the word that's used to describe us is, is, is a, temp, it's a temporary dwelling structure, kind of like we would use the word tent to describe a home rather than a house. A tent is meant to be temporary, especially in this climate. And, um, and a house is different. The body, the physical body that Lazarus was in before he was resurrected, his tent he wasn't in there. Where was he? He was in paradise. And you can do a study if you want, but it's a good place to be. Heaven is a wonderful place to be. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. They got dogs there. <laughs> they might have cats there. <laughs> I'm really sorry, and I will give you a personal apology. My email is... Eric at Crossroads Foursquare. (laughs) I I really believe that part of it was in the now. Jesus is going, okay, I I know this is not what you want to do, Lazarus, but I need you here. This is for the glory of God, so come here. And he calls him back from paradise. And I think that could be worth crying about. He loved Lazarus. Close friend, I am so sorry to do this to you. But come on. I know your body was sick when you got here. We'll, we'll patch you up and you'll be fine. You're going to scrape your knees some more in life, but this isn't your time. you got to come back. He was the loser in that deal. That's one reason I think he could have cried. Maybe. Another reason that's as, is 100% as legitimate is from the perspective of Mary and Martha. In the now, their hope just drained away. They're broken down in pain. Their brother has died. And beyond that their messiah has let them down they're hopeless they're crying and jesus sees this and jesus weeps consider i think about you know god the ridiculous amount of self-control that his love requires i mean i mean here's what i mean okay so so imagine this conversation you know, if, if God thought and acted the way we do, you know, you're, you're 27 and um, it's your birthday and you wake up and um, God's mad at you. And for whatever reasons, he's right. And uh, it's your, your birthday. Hey, good morning, God. Good morning. Hey, um, it's my birthday today. Hmm. I know. It's frosty. Did I do something to upset you? Mm-hmm. Well, what was it? Well, it's not what you did, but when you turn 45, you're going to do something. And Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a minute. I don't get it. I haven't done anything yet, but at 45, I'm going to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, well, hey, I won't. If you just tell me what it is, I won't do it. No, that's not how this works. You're going to do it, and I'm not happy about it. But I haven't done it yet. This isn't right. It's not fair. And so it's your 27th birthday, and things aren't going so good. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? And by the way, God would be justified to be upset because he knows something we're going to do at age 45. Now, some of you are saying, hey, well, I'm way past 45, (laughs) and I, I get that, you know. God knows what you're going to do at 95 too. <laughs> and the thing is, my problem is I can't deal with that knowledge. If I know you're going to do something really hurtful to me in 10 years, and it's a let's say it's fact, it can't be changed. I I, I can't deal with that. I I I cannot steward that knowledge. I'm not capable of doing it. This is a ridiculous amount of love to control this kind of a thing. What kind of love is that? Even, G- even though Jesus knows that very soon Lazarus is going to be right back with us all, the pain that Mary and Martha are in is absolutely real and legitimate. It's valid. And Jesus doesn't walk up to them and say, hey, 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 girls, it's going to be okay. Just chill because Lazarus is going to be fine, only to have them return and say, oh, yeah, 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 okay, we we realize who we're dealing with here. We're sorry. We're good. Tears were a waste of time. That's not what happens there. That is just not what happens. Who is this God who knows he's going to save Lazarus, but before he does, he has this extraordinary love, this this, this empathy for the pain of humanity, of of. Of these two friends, that he takes time to cry and he cries real tears with Mary and Martha. It's extraordinary. You know, he heals bad people, he blesses bad people. And even when he knows that God's very best for you and me or Lazarus is just around the corner, (laughs) he values and cares about our grief. His desire is to be empathetic when we're in a grief. You know, I, I, I've had the opportunity to do memorial services and this whole story about Lazarus. I use that because it's factual and it's true and it helps with faith and so forth. But it's really, really common when I'm at memorial services to, to be standing next to maybe a family member of someone who's gone on and a friend or someone else will care and say, hey, they'll come up and they'll say, um, hey, you know, you're gonna see him in heaven. And and that's really, really common. And and the person is saying that. It's meant to encourage. It's good. It's, it's a right, it's appropriate thing to say. It's caring. It's loving. Um, I mean, I've, I, when my father died, I had people come to me and say, hey, you know, you're going to see your dad in heaven. And that's it's true. Um, and I appreciate their heart. I really, really do. But I had the, that particular theology already worked out. Okay? I mean, I don't mean to be snide, but I'm thinking... I get that, but I'm not in heaven, and and I will be, and I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not there now, and I miss my dad, and I want to see him now, <laughs> even though we're just doing memorial service today, and it hasn't been that long, um, and my tears were not because I was never going to see my father again. It was because the tears were real. The pain was real. It was now. God is ever-present. He understands. God knows we're dust. <laughs> he sees our plight. He gets, he gets that we don't really quite grasp eternity. And even though in those moments there, we, we, can, we can have knowledge that there will be an eternity together and, and we have that hope of heaven, the only context that we've experienced here with our five senses is this decaying planet Earth and the death of that comes to the earth. And when, when our loved ones are gone, even though that separation is temporary, the pain is real. It's deep. It's challenging. And sometimes there's a lot of it. And Jesus comes to Mary and Martha and he cries with them. And there's a scripture in Romans that it reflects this character of God. Romans twelve fifteen says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's our God. That's our God, who knows about our eternity, but he'll weep with you. He knows all the details and how they're gonna work out, and yes, he'll weep with you now because his love is present. It's now, it's here, it's available. God does not inflict your past on you, which is amazing, but maybe even more amazing is that God will not inflict your future on you. He loves you now. He will heal you now. <laughs> he will minister to you now. He'll be with you now. Is he wasting his power? Is he is he wasting those tears? No, that is God's extraordinary love for us. Extraordinary. You've probably read 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the the power love chapter of the Bible and it's it's a good one and I urge you to read through it. Um, I mean, I've many times I've viewed it through different perspectives. I've kind of primarily viewed it as, as a, a primer on how to love people around us. You know, We're supposed to love each other. Here's a good list. Live up to this. It'd be a really good challenge. And, and then I think it's also a, a good instruction on how we're supposed to love God. Love is patient, love is kind, all those things. You know, um, I'm, I think that, but if you study it out, you're gonna find out that what it truly is talking about is God's love for you and me. The word used there suggests that this is how God loves us. It's our goal to be like that, but it's how he already is. I mean, the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the Lord's love. And, and his love never fails. It's faithful. It's constant. It's today. It's now. God's love is now. And you don't have to worry about any sort of carryover. You don't, you know, you don't have to worry about your future all of a sudden coming up and being thrown in your face today. What does that mean? It means you are free to enjoy God's love for you right now. In this moment. And 1 John four eighteen says that perfect love casts out all fear. And God's love for us is perfect and complete. I mean, if you face fear, if, you care, if you're dealing with fear right now, whether, and, and the range is huge. I mean, whether it's something that you would acknowledge is it's, it's a childish, unfounded fear, but you still struggle, all the way to something that absolutely terrorizes your soul. That whole range of fear. Perfect love casts out all, all fear. There's not a requirement that you buck up. That you somehow use your mental horsepower and reason your way to peace. That somehow intellectual persuasion, no, only God's perfect love casts out all fear. You know, I, I go on hospital visits and, or whatever, I just many times with people and sometimes, you know, in the hospital or in circumstances where people are dealing with things and they're looking maybe down both barrels of a comment that is giving them a number, here's how long you have to live, or here's a procedure that it'll probably be okay, but sign this because see this big long list of fine print, these are the terrible things that can happen to you. Um, and, um, and, And I've been in those settings with people and I could see it in their eyes, I could see the fear. And I've learned to, with tenderness, I try to do this with tenderness as I can, but to look them in the eye and say, are you afraid? And um, surprisingly, people want to tell you if they are, if, if they know you care about them. And um, when they say, yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit afraid, what I try to do then is I try to declare God's perfect love over them I don't say, hey, this is the best hospital there is. These are the best doctors with the best training. That stuff's good too. Do it. That's helpful. But I don't believe that those things are going to fix the fear. Scripture says it's God's perfect love. And it's not like a hocus potion. This This is the truth. God's perfect love. And when I say, you know what? God loves you. Here's what the scriptures say about you here's how he thinks about you you here's here's what Jeremiah 29:11 says that he's thinking not about your calamity not about your destruction but about your future and your hope and you start to see the, the the authentic perfect of love arriving in their soul you can see fear almost lift off sometimes and God perfected and finished his act of love for all of humanity and and now if we will just kind of get ourselves caught up in, in 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 and live in his love what he's done for us it'll overcome us and it will overcome all fear. You know as God's followers you've basically been given permission to live a fearless life. Imagine that, sleeping at night. Fearless. Will challenging times come? Well, of course. You know. Will there be difficulties? Yeah, I mean, that's of course. Life is difficult on this planet. It just, it just is. Things happen. And part of fear is that we muster up these pictures of tomorrow that are bad. But perfect love casts out all fear. And we've been set free by the love of God. You relax in the love of God. He's sovereign. God is in control He's present and he loves you. And he makes this wonderful promise in Matthew chapter 11 where he says, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's a great promise there. I mean, his desire is to bring rest to you, to, to, to bring rest when you're troubled. He's got sympathy and he brings this peace and, and to people whose lives are burdened. And I urge you today, to lean into the present love of God, today's love that He's got for you. We need to not get so caught up in tomorrow, and, and certainly don't get caught up in the things of yesterday. Um, Jesus didn't teach that. He 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 said, "Don't worry about tomorrow." In fact, and and God's love is present and it's now. He's with you and He's for you and He loves you. And you know, I wouldn't try to pretend to stand up here and know what you're facing. I, I know some of you are facing terrible challenges and difficulties in your lives. But I do know what the Holy Spirit is saying to us right now. I believe. And he's saying you can relax a little bit here. Lean into God's love. Let yourself live today in what's presently coming upon you from heaven. Today. Today. And, you know, God, by that promise in Matthew 11, he's kind of set up, you know, this division of labor for us. You know, what he's going to carry and what you are supposed to carry. And that's the whole concept of a yoke. Yoke is that thing that, you know, it hooks two oxen together, goes over their necks, and then you hook the plow to it. You all use plows and oxen, right? (laughs) So this yoke, is it goes over the two oxen. And the picture here is, the big meat of the beam going over the neck of God <laughs> and this six molecules coming over your neck, right? Because when the, the big, <laughs> I don't want to call God the big ox. <laughs> when God sticks his neck into that yoke and lifts, the weight will come off of you if you will yoke with God. And that's the division of labor, in, in, labor. and labor and he describes that whole thing, how that's supposed to work in Matthew 6 verses 25 and on. and this is the, these are the words of Jesus speaking here. He says, that's, "That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life." And Jesus goes on, I'm going to jump down here, but Jesus goes on and he basically says, "Listen, look, have you seen how beautiful the birds are? I put their clothes on them. I got this covered." Have you seen the lilies of the field? He says, I feed those birds, and I make the lilies, the flowers, beautiful. I have this covered. You don't have to be so worried. (laughs) Verse 30 says, God will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat tomorrow? What will we drink? I put that word in there, tomorrow. What will we drink? What will we wear tomorrow? Tomorrow. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. God will weep with you today. He'll laugh with you today. He's with you today and he knows what you're going through. Lean into him. Communicate with God. Walk with God because he loves you so much. And I really believe the Holy Spirit is asking this question right now. Since when, loving son, loving daughter, since when am I not enough? Since when am I not enough? Each and every day. Our answer, our only right answer is, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for the love that you have for me right here and right now. I'm gonna pray over you, and I wanna pray for something of a release and freedom and rest in the present love of God. Would you let me pray over you? God, today, I am so grateful that you decided to... Love everyone to heal all of those people. I'm grateful, Lord, that in my failures of yesterday, you don't stick that into my present. And in my failures of the future, you don't throw that at me today, that your love is with me in the now. Lord, for people in this room and in the, that are hearing this right now, that struggle with the idea that you would love them because they look at the things they have done. They look at who they are. They look at who they predict they will be and say, I'm not worth God's love. God, squash that untruth. It's a lie from hell. Your scripture says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that the things that would whisper lies to us in the dark, would be squashed, that we would be sequestered from them. Lord, I pray and I thank you for the gentleness of your love, that, that it's perfect and that it casts out all fear. I pray, Lord, for people who walk today with any scintilla of fear today, and I ask God for it to be lifted off of them. I can think of people right now you're putting on my mind who um, maybe aren't even present today, but walk in fear. And God, I ask you to visit there right now. I think of one young lady in particular, a married young lady who occasionally walks in an irrational fear. And Lord, without naming her name, I pray for an intervention by your spirit in her life that she would know and sense your love upon her in this moment at 11.15 on Sunday morning that you would, she would look and say, something came over me at 11.15 and I felt so loved and covered and protected, Lord, that you would cast out fear and that it would stay out in the name of Jesus and that your love would stay in. And Lord, I pray over this woman I'm thinking of and in proxy of others, others in this room who need to have that prayed over them. I pray, Lord, for a miraculous intervention of the power of the peace that comes from your perfect love and for people sitting in this room who say, yeah, that's great, but I've got a doctor who's told me anyway, I, 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 that does not cancel the power of your perfect love. We don't need to walk in fear. So, Lord, I pray that the fear would not be allowed to live in this place and in these hearts in the precious name of Jesus.